Hello and welcome to the Butterfly Empire where we have conspiracies, coffee, and your mom if you bring her. Cool. Anyways, today we are covering Mary Flora Bell. This one, not many people uh, know of it, but here we go. Let's jump into it. She was born May 26, 1957. She's an English woman as a juvenile. She killed two preschool-age boys in Scottswood, in the suburb, in 1968. Belle committed her first killing when she was only 10 years old. Belle informed her victim that he had a sore throat, which she would massage before proceeding to string... What? What? <laughs> Belle informed her victim that he had a sore throat where she would massage before proceeding to strangle him. I had to read that twice to make sure it's what I read correctly. Bell was convicted of manslaughter in relation to both killings in December 1968. A trial was held at newscast A-S-S-I-Z-E-S. The Z's, man. If you not noticed for the past Three episodes has always been a name or something with a Z. I can't even think of like three Z words or that has a Z in it. Lord. When she was 11 years old and in which her actions were just to be have committed under dismissed responsibility, she is a British young female killer. Youngest, I guess you can call them and was diagnosed with psychiatric personality disorder prior to her trial. Her alleged accomplice is at least one of the killings. 13-year-old Norma was acquitted of all charges. Bell was released from custody in 1980 at the age of 23. A lifelong court order grant for anonymity. That word, I got it correct, anonymity. Woo! which has since been extended to protect the identity of her daughter and granddaughter. She has since lived under a series of precipiousness. Precipiousness, yeah. <laughs> Love these big words. Why can't they just give me a name like alias? I know, they have to sound big smart, you know? <laughs> Mary Beth's mother, Elizabeth Betty Bell, was a well-known local prostitute. So this child's already had the background of her mother being a prostitute. And so all this is okay. Hmm. Who was often absent from the family home, frequently traveling to Glasgow to work and simply leaving her child in care of her father. If he was present, Mary had a second child born when Betty was 17 years old. The identity of the biological father is unknown. For most of her life, Mary believed that her father will be William Billy Bell, a violent alcoholic, a criminal with an arrest record for crimes including armed robbery. However, when a baby, when she was a baby, when William Bell married her mother and it was unknown to her, If they are even his father, okay. She says people. 
you have time for a coffee drink before the next paragraph. Mary was unwanted and neglected child. Within minutes of Mary's birth, her mother had resented hospital staff attempting to place her daughter in her arms, shouting, Take that thing away from me. Alcoholic, druggy father, prostitute mom, neglected childhood. Of course, it makes a perfect sense for her to grow up, be planted into the ground, and become a serial killer. That's cool. Ladies and gentlemen, this is how you get Sarah Keller to be born. (laughs) As a baby, toddler, and young child, Mary frequently suffered injuries in the household accidents while alone with her mother, which led to the family believe that either her mother was deliberately neglecting or initially attempting to harm or kill her daughter. On one occasion in about 1960s, Betty dropped her daughter from a taking a moment. Mm. I'll tell you all in a minute. Mm. As a mother with children, bees neglecting on purpose is what gets me. Betty dropped her daughter from her first floor window. In another occasion, she pled her daughter. She drugged her daughter with sleeping pills. She is also known to have once sold Mary to a mentally unstable woman who is unable to have children of her own. Resulting in her older sister, Kathleen, having to travel alone across Newcastle to reclaim Mary from that individual and return the child to her mother's home. Despite her negligence and abuse of the child, Betty refused repeated offers from her family to take custody of Mary. Mm. Prepare yourself. This one is... This one's sort of hitting. Mm. Despite her neglect and abuse of her child, Betty refused repeated offers from her family to take care of Mary, who she, as a dominatrix, is alleged to have begun allowing or encouraging several of her clients to sexually a in sessions by mid-1960s. Mary's mother actively participated in several of these sessions, including several in which she had blindfolded Nope, mm-mm, not reading that. Nope, 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 nope. You guys aren't getting that part. That's in my brain. It doesn't need to go in yours. Mm. Just, just know it's disturbed. But we are not putting that. Mm. Both home and school, Mary exhibited numerous signs of disturbed and unpredictable behavior, including sudden mood swings and chronic bedwetting. She is known to have frequent fought with other children, both boys and girls, to have attempted to strangle or suffocate her classmates or playmates on several occasions. On one occasion, she is known to have attempted to block the trachea of a young girl with sand. 
The violent behavior made many children reluctant to socialize with Mary, who would frequently spend her free time with Norman, the 13-year-old daughter of a next-door neighbor with whom she had became acquainted in an early 1967s. Although the girls shared the same last name, Bell, they were not related. According to her classmate, in 1968, she and her peers had become accustomed to a sudden and marked change in Mary's behavior. And when she began exhibiting distressful mannerisms, sounds like aneurysm, it's going to give me an aneurysm. including shaking her head and forming a steel glaze her peers inevitably knew she was about to come violent with the focus of her stare beginning the individual she would attack. So one of these? Mm-hmm. One of these. On Saturday the 11th in 1968, a three-year-old boy was discovered wandering, dazed, and bleeding in a road in Scottswood. The child later informed police that he had been playing with Mary Beth and Normal Bell, Mary Beth and Normal Bell, atop of disused shelter, where he was being pushed seven feet from the roof to the ground, inflicted a severe laceration to his head. He was unaware of which one of the girls had actually pushed him. The same evening, the parents of the three small girls contacted police to complain about both Mary, Mary and Norma had attempted to strangle their child as they played in a sandpit. That evening, both girls were interviewed about the incidents. Both girls denied any culpability from the air raid shelter incident, claiming they had simply discovered the boy bleeding heavily from his head wound after he had fallen. Further questions about the attempted strangulation of the three young girls, many denied any knowledge of the incident. However, Norma admitted Mary had tried to throttle each of the girls. What do they mean by throttle? <clears throat> Strangled. Mary went to one of the girls and said, what happens if you choke someone? Do they die? Then Mary put both hands around the girl's throat and squeezed. The girl stated that she started to go purple. I told Mary to stop, but she wouldn't. Then she put her hands around the Pauline's throat and started to go purple as well. Another girl, Susan, came up and Mary did the same thing to her. Due to her age, both girls were simply giving a warning. No further actions were taken. So they didn't die apparently. Martin Brown. Move to this one. On the 25th of May, 1968, the day before her 11th birthday, Belle strangled four-year-old Martin Brown in an upstairs bedroom of a house located on Margaret's Road. She is believed to have committed this crime alone. Brown's body was discovered by three children at approximately 3.30 p.m. He was lying on his back with his arms stretched above his head. 
Aside from the specks of the blood and foam around his mouth, no signs of violence were visible upon his body. A local woman named John Hill, Worksman, arrived at the scene. He attempted to perform CPR, but didn't work. As Hall attempted CPR, two local girls, 10-year-old Mary Bell, and her 13-year-old friend and neighbor, Norma, appeared at the doorway of the bedroom. Both were quickly shooed out of the house. The two knocked out the door. Martin's aunt informed one of her sisters. Baron. Child. Yeah. Like, why can't we just use English? But one of your sister's children has just had an accident. We think it's Martin, but we can't tell because there's blood all over him. The following day, the conducted a postmortem upon the body of Martin Brown, was unable to find any signs of violence of the child's body, and thus was unable to determine the child's cause of death. Although he was able to discount the investigator's theory, the child had died of poisoning through ingested tablets. Oh, it was a theory. Okay. I had my I had to keep reading this long paragraph. I'm guessing back in the day they couldn't tell if you were strangled, you know? So the first thing was if you had no other signs and you were just poisoned. Poison was a huge thing back then, in case anyone know. Wanted to get rid of somebody poisoned it. So there would be no trace of it because they didn't really have the tests like they do nowadays. So. <laughs> Sorry. On Mary's 11th birthday, the 26th of May, she and Nora broke into a nursery. The two entered the premises by peeling tiles off the stale roof. They tore books, unturned desks, and smeared ink and poster paint on the property before escaping. The following day, staff discovered the break-in and vandalism and immediately notified the police, who also discovered four separate notes. They claimed responsible for Martin Brown's murder. One of the notes said, I murdered so that I may come back. And another read, we did murder Martin Brown. Fuck off, you bastard. Dirt note simply said, fuck off, we murdered, watch out, Fanny, and faggot. The final note was the most complex ring, you are mice. Why? Be curse. Yes, be curse. B-E, curse. Not because, be curse. For curse, we murdered Martin. Go brown, you Betta, B-E-T-E, Betta. Remember, this is a 10 year, 11 year old girl spelling, so. Betta, look out. There are murders about by Fanny and old faggot, you screws. That English. 
The police dismissed the incident as a tasteless and childless prank. Two days later, on May 28th, shortly before the funeral, Martin Brown, in a game of chicken, both girls called upon the house of the mother, June, asking to see her son. When June Brown replied that he could not see her son because he was deceased, Mary replied, oh, I know he's dead. I just want to see him in his coffin. Girl, come the hell down. You are being so much right now. Huh. <clears throat> I don't think as a mother, I wouldn't know how or what to do with that. Mm. Mm. Brian Howie. July 31st, 1968, a three-year-old named Brian Howie was last seen with his parents in the street outside his house playing with one of the siblings, the family dog and Mary Beth and Norma Bell. When he did not return home later that afternoon, concerned relatives and neighbors searched the streets without success. At 11.10 p.m., a search party discovered Brian's body between the two large concrete blocks upon the Tin Lizzy. The first placement to arrive at the scene observed the attempt that had been made to conceal the body, which was covered in clumps of grass and weeds. Cyanosis is a change of body tissue color and bluish purple color was evidence upon the child's lift you know so like uh, if you're strangled or not your lips turn blue or purple because of oxygen couldn't get to it yeah. and several bruises and scratches were evidence upon his neck a pair of broken scissors laid close to his feet the coroner would conclude that brian had died of strangulation that he had been deceased for up to seven and a half hours before the body was discovered the killer had eventually squeezed Brian's nostrils closed with one hand as she or he had gripped the throat with the other. Numerous puncture wounds had been inflicted to the child's leg before death. Sections of his hair had been cut from his head. His genitals had been partly mutilated. And a crude attempt had been made to carve the initial M to his stomach for Mary Bell. The letter of a small amount of force used to murder the child led to the coroner to conclude the murder was another child. Numerous gray and maroon fibers were discovered upon Brian's clothing and shoes. These fibers did not source anything from the cloud within the house of his family and had been transferred from the child by his killers. Ooh, evidence. So, investigation. <clears throat> the discovery of the body sparked a large-scale manhunt. Over 100 detectives were assigned to the investigation and more than 1,200 children had been questioned with regards to the whereabouts by August 2nd. Witness and former investigators had been seen playing Brian had been seen playing with Brian shortly before he believed to have died. In her initial interview, Nora seemed excitable, whereas Mary was markedly more observant and Tech to turn. I know what are these words that we don't know. Although both girls were based and contradictorily in their initial statements, they freely admitted to having played with Brian on the date of his death, but tonight have seen him after lunchtime. Questioning further the following day, Mary stated that she remembered seeing an eight-year-old local boy playing with Brian, and that she had also seen him hitting the child. Furthermore, she stated she also remembered the boy had been covered in grass and weeds as if he'd been rolling in the field, that he had been in possession of a small pair of scissors. Mary then 
overpowered. I saw him trying to cut the cat's tail off with the scissors. But there was something wrong with him. One leg was broken or bent. This self-incriminating statement convinced Detective that Mary was the actual killer, as once the police knew about the broken scissors found the crime scene, but in addition, the local boy she named was quickly questioned and discovered he had been at the airport on that afternoon with multiple witnesses. So, that was her first sort of hint and confession that was going on. On the afternoon of August 4th, the parents of Norma Bell contacted police stating their daughter wished to confess that she knew of the death of Brian Howie. They arrived at her home, formally cautioned Nora, then asked what she knew. Nora then informed the detective Mary had taken her to a spot on Tin Lizzie, at which point she had been known and shown the body, Brian's body. Mary had then demonstrated to her how she had strangled the child. According to Norma, Mary had confessed that she had just enjoyed strangling the child, which had been hidden at the crime scene, and the broken scissors Norma had left to place the crime scene revealed the location where the razor blade was hidden. In drawing, Norma made the wounds inflicted on the boy's abdomen precisely matching those description of the coroner. Mary Beth was visiting at her home in the early hours of five, 5th of August. On this occasion, she was notably defensive when confronting with the description in her previous statement, informing detectives, you're trying to brainwash me. I will get a solicitor to get me out of this. Later the same day, Norma was questioned again. On the occasion, she made a full statement and was she admitted to being present when Mary had certainly struggled, strangled Brian, struggled with him, you know. According to Norma, when the trio were alone on the tin Lizzie, Mary seemed to go all funny, pushing the child into the grass and attempting to strangle him before stating to her, my hands are getting thick, take over. She had then run from the scene leaving Mary alone with Brian. A forensic examined the clothing owned by both girls wearing the gray fibers discovered upon Brian's body where the precise match to the wool dress owned by Mary. The maroon fibers upon the child's shoes were precise match to the skirt owned by Norma. Furthermore, the same gray fibers had also been found upon the body of Martin Brown. Brian Howley was buried in a local cemetery, August 7, 1968, in a cemetery attended by over 200 people, according to the DCI, who had planned to arrest both girls later that day. Mary Bell stood outside the Howie household as a child's coffin was brought from the home at the beginning of the funeral procession. She stood there laughing and rubbing her hands. Whoa, ho, 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 ho. You know, that kind of thing. 
Weird. <clears throat> I thought, my God, I've got to bring her in. She'll do another one. Both girls formally charged with the murder of Brian Howie at 8 p.m. that evening in response to the charge, Mary replied, That's all right by me. While Norma's over here, bursting into tears, simply proclaiming, I never, I'll pay you back for this. Okay. In the presence of an independent witness, Mary prepared a written statement in which she admitted to being present with Brian was murdered, but insisting the murder had been committed by Norma. She also admitted she and Norma had broken into the Woodlands Crescent Nursery that day after the killing of Martin Brown. Defacing the property before two had written the four handwritten notes. So, psychological evaluations. Shortly after their arrest, both girls underwent one of those. The results of the test were revealed Norma was intellectually delayed in a submissive character who easily displayed emotion, whereas Mary was a bright yet cunning character prone to sudden mood swings. Occasionally, Mary was willing to talk, although she rapidly became sullen, introspective, and defensive in nature. The four psychiatrists who examined Mary concluded that not Suffering from mental disorder, she suffered from psychological personality disorder, and the official report Mary's social techniques are primitive to, and take the form of autistic, automatic delayed, integration, manipulation, complaining, bullying, flight of violence. Mm, enjoy those words. They were fun to say. So, they got her. Now let's go to the trial. You want to go to trial with me? Let's go to trial. And go talk to that judge. The trial Mary Beth and Norma Bell. I keep calling her Beth. It's a bell. I keep calling her Mary Beth. Where do I get the name Mary Beth? Do y'all remember Beth? Mary Beth? Anywhere in here? Because there's some reason my brain is clicking that. I'm searching to see if the word Beth comes up anywhere. Oh. Yep, I remember now where I got it from my brain. Mm -hmm. I got it. I got it. I know where it came from now. The trial of Mary Beth. Mary and Norma Bell. Not related. Remember, for the murders of Martin Brown and Brian Howie began at the New West Newcastle, the Newcastle, on December fifth, nineteen sixty-eight. Both girls were tried before the court, and both pleaded not guilty to the charges. Against protests from both defense counsels, on the first day of the trial, the judge waived the defendant's rights to anonymity. 
unanimity. That word? Anonymity. Can you say the word? Say it with me. Anyways. So, excuse the dog. Well, anyways, they came to the conclusion both girls well knew what they did was wrong and what the results would be. The testimony. Norma testified in her own defense she denied any culpability in the actual murder of either child, but admitted under cross-examination to have known Mary's percent for violence and her history of attacking children that the two had discussed attacking and killing small children of both genders. Questioned to whether Mary had just demonstrated to her how children could be killed. Norma nodded. She then conceded that the Mary had begun to attack and strangle Brian and she had failed to alert a group of boys playing in the vicinity, stating she had failed to do so as I did not know what was going to happen in the first place. She had stopped to hurt him for a bit <clears throat> when the boys were near the blocks where they were. Questioned as to her role in murder, normal stated that she had never touched the child. Following the conclusions of Nona's testimony, her own defense, her testimony lasted for almost four hours, concluding on the 13th December and was briefly adjured in one occasion where she began to cry in police's arms. She denied her co-defenses, insisting that she had deserved the body of Martin Brown, she herself had never harmed the child, and that she and Norma Her later asked the boy's mother to view his body as the two were daring each other, and one of us did not want to be the chicken. The trial lasted nine days. On December 17th, the jury retired to consider their verdict and would deliberate for three hours and 25 minutes before reaching the verdicts. Mary Bell was cleared of the murder but convicted of the manslaughter on both boys on the ground of dismissed responsibility. Norma Bell was acquitted of all charges. Upon hearing the jury's verdicts, Norma clapped her hands in excitement, whereas Mary burst into tears as her mother and grandmother also cried. Passing sentence, Mary was deducted as being a dangerous individual, adding she posted a very grave risk to other children and that steps must be taken to protect the public from her. Bell was initially detained in the Durham-Han remand home before transferring to second home. She was transferred to Red Bank Secure Unit, a young officer's institution in early 1969, where she was the only female among 24 inmates. Bell was later claimed that she was sexually aided by a member of the staff and several inmates incarcerated in this facility, claiming that began when she was 13. She was transferred again. Reportedly, Bell resented her transferal to this facility. She was unable to apply for parole. She undertook a secret trial course. 15 months later, in 1977, Bell again 
made national headlines when she and another inmate from this open prison both spent several days in the company of two young men and sleeping in various local hotels where Bell used an alias Mary Robertson before the two parted company. Bell was arrested at the home of one of the men. She tried to disguise her identity. She was reported in custody that evening. In June 1979, Bell was released from prison May 1980, at the age of 23, and having served almost 11 and a half years in custody, she was granted anonymity, <laughs> including a new name, allowing her to start a new life elsewhere in the county under an assured identity. Okay, that's about it, ladies and gentlemen. So, Mary Bell and Norma Bell. Norma was not in this at all. She was like, go away. You didn't do any of this. You were just here. You got coaxed into it. As in with Mary, she got 11 and a half years. So. Watch your children. Bye. Love y'all.